You've called it a buzzword a couple times. I think that's a great kind of label to put on the word centralization. You know, like a lot of things in student housing, if you line up four operators and say define centralization or how are you doing centralization, you're going to get four different answers. This episode of the Student Housing Insight Podcast is brought to you by the generous sponsorship from BSB Design. So if you're involved with the development or renovation of student housing, I really want you to lean in right now. Have you experienced construction delays and cost overruns because the architect, they just didn't take the proper steps on the front end of the process and it's caused delays on the other side of the process. What is it that Benjamin Franklin said? Uh, An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The architects, designers, and staff at BSB Design live by that statement. BSB Design specializes in purpose-built off-campus student housing, and they have over 50 years of experience in the multifamily industry. They've got a proven track record for creating innovative and successful student housing communities. But what truly sets BSB apart is their unique design process. And if you haven't gone through it, let me kind of explain it. So unlike other firms, they conduct a a comprehensive one to four day uh, charrette is what they call it. It's a very meticulous approach that allows them to identify and address any potential issues early on. And that's going to help eliminate the delays and really ensuring a smooth project. I personally had the pleasure of being involved in this process with a mutual client between mine and, and BSB. And I just really can't emphasize you know, enough how beneficial it was. Uh, the on-site review allowed us to, to catch and resolve potential issues that, that could have caused some significant delays and headaches for myself as I was the one, <laughs> I was the one involved with, with opening it up. And so if you understand student housing, you know that if you miss a delivery for fall move in, it's going to add another, uh, certainly another year, if not two years to be able to stabilize that project. So don't waste any more time with subpar architecture firms. Experience the difference with BSB Design. Visit their website at bsbdesign.com to learn more. We'll also put that contact information in the show notes. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. I'm also the CEO of Student Housing Insight. That's right, because we're not just a podcast, but we're actually a platform for student housing professionals to network and come together, share data, ideas, and all that good stuff. And joining me today is someone that the audience has not heard from for a while, Greta Dare. Ooh, <laughs> hello there. So how are things going? It's been um, a long time. <laughs> amazing. It, it, it has so long. Well, as we always say, you and I, you know, we live, I think, 40 minutes from each other, but we don't ever get to see each other until we're at a conference. So <laughs> it, was good see- <laughs> it was good seeing you at least con TurnCon last week. It was. It was amazing. I'm, I'm so glad that we got to meet in the middle for that. I actually love <laughs> telling people that. <laughs> too. 
Well, hey, before we even kind of get into recapping LeaseCon, TurnCon, and um, talking about centralization services, first of all, tell the audience, I'm really sorry I did not post any new podcasts in November. I came back from the conference in November. Well, at the end of October from Vegas at NMHC with, uh, with some kind of bug. And it took me out like the first two, two and a half weeks of, of November. So nothing got posted <laughs> in November. Uh, so we're going to pick it all up in, in December and try to get three done every month. We'll try to get maybe four done this month. We'll see what happens. But The ambition of it all. Well, the truth is, is I got some stuff that was recorded previously that I just didn't get intros done for. So I'm going to be able to <laughs> to get those out this month as well. But anyway, that's November. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. How about you? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. I actually was really excited about it because we had our first Thanksgiving here in our new place and I got to cook and made an amazing turkey. And that was very exciting for me, actually. Thank you so much for asking. How was yours? So did you fry it or did you, no. what did you do to it? So no, I made it in the oven, like an old fashioned, normal human, I suppose. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had basted it from the day before in a an herb mixture that so it, i was there sitting in that for a good 18 hours i believe oh geez oh yeah oh yeah. yeah and then i took it out before cooking and i had an an herb butter that i injected it with and then painted it with because um painted it with okay. painted it painted it with coated it with uh, julia childs lives inside my heart listen everything's better with butter as Maya Mary would also concur. And yeah, it was honestly, I'm not even like, I didn't want to say this, but genuinely it was the best turkey I'd ever had in my life. It was really good. It was a recipe that I followed that I had found and I was like, that looks good. But it was, it was so good. Like every single bite had actual flavor. It didn't have like that kind of like, yeah, where you like your salt and peppering kind of every bite a little bit because you're just like, yeah, it's good. It tastes like turkey. No, it was juicy and you could taste the infusion of flavor and herbs in every single yeah. bite of turkey. It was so good. Well, and by the way, it was Paula Dean that said better with butter, but I was like quoting an actual quote. Okay. That was unintentional. I'm not quoting Paula Dean. That's not a thing. I am talking about the original, the best who, who, who loved the butter and the wine. So, yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back to cooking a turkey that way. Um, my brother-in-law for the past couple of years has always fried a turkey and it's just, it's legit. Like there's, there's nothing better. So, um, I've never had it actually stick to, stick to your injecting and painting. Um, we'll just, <laughs> we'll take the, we'll take the deep fry. Well, great. I'm glad, glad you guys had a good Thanksgiving. Hope everyone else did as well. And let's, Talk a little bit about LeaseCon TurnCon because it's now five years in the making. I believe just at least the past three years, the week after Thanksgiving or at least the first week of December has been LeaseCon TurnCon. Uh, it was here in Charlotte again this year. So always appreciative when I don't have to fly somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> 
But quick, you know, quick takeaways. What were some of the things that you really liked about it? Uh, well, first off, I obviously just love LeaseCon TurnCon. I'm not even kidding. I think it's an amazing event. I love that it exists. My biggest thing, one, I loved when the inception of it when it first came about, when you told me that this was something that Rich was wanting to put together, the entire idea that an event was going to be focused on creating and giving tools that were meant more for the, yeah, the onsite teams and and senior managers, directors, the people that can use things as direct tools. And that to me was so, so important and so incredible because obviously that was something that when we were on site, you know, we would have to do to like, you would go to the apartment association, but we don't have events like that in student housing. And so I loved that. And so one of the things that I was thinking or that I was talking to, I know that Alex Rippey, she was there and she had brought, I think her entire, she brought her entire team with her. And I loved that so much. And, you know, I was talking to her, I told I was like, I, I would love, I would love next year if I saw, you know, for the companies that were able to, to send more teams, send more general managers, send more leasing area, leasing and marketing managers, regional leasing and marketing managers, send more, you know, people like that wherever possible, where budgets allow, obviously I know it's always, it is always tight to be able to get the benefits because the information is so, so valuable. And it's always also so amazing to see new faces and interact with new people. And that was, that was a lot of fun, but that was one of the biggest things for sure. Yeah, this was, this was the, you know, largest group of attendees that we've had in the five years um, that has been going on. And that certainly showed off because the room was, was packed on Tuesday. I will say, you know, if there's one thing and I, I put it in the survey, guys at interface if you're listening to it just you know a quick critique let's do not have the first day on monday again because <laughs> that seemed to be really tough with everybody the round tables are always you know kind of the first thing on the kind of kicks off around 3 30 or so and the round tables have always been surprisingly very well attended in the yeah. past and i would say for you know for the attendance to be as high as it was this year the roundtables were about half of what it was last year. And at first I thought, okay, did people just not want to go? And the more and more I talked to people that evening, because we also did our annual mixer. I, I got to say annual mixer. This was the second annual <laughs> so far, but um, it was, and thanks to everybody who came for that. That was a, that was an awesome event. I think we had over like 120 um, it was packed. Honestly, we may, we may have to get a bigger place. We are. We are. And thank you to Matt Windsor for um, a suggestion that that he made. <laughs> um, Matt Windsor at the Turn Company. We will definitely be checking that recommendation out. I think everybody's going to like it. Assuming that it's going to be in Charlotte again next year. That's, Please make um, it in Charlotte. Yeah, that's obviously up in the air. But but no, I, I, that, that would just be the one critique that I would have is let's not do it on a started on a on a monday i think it was just really tough for people to get into town early enough to do that from what i was hearing from everybody but you know the the thing i really like about this one is that there's um, outside of what you mentioned but there's a lot of 
you know, we refer to them as mom and pop or regional or scattered site operators, single market operators, folks like Cole from Tiger Properties down in Clemson. We typically don't get to, you know, see those guys, especially from an operation side at some of the other bigger conferences because those smaller companies aren't typically members of NMHC and, you know, interface in Austin is it's a, it's a pretty big trip if you're coming from you know one side of the country or the other and it was it was really good to see a lot of those types of operators there and kind of hearing the different things that they're dealing with because it is a you know it is a very different operating platform than what we see with a lot of the national operators and quite honestly I think there's the past couple of years because of this topic of centralization and so many, so many people move into it, you know, those operators have been doing, they've been doing centralization, you know, from the, from the get, right. And so it's been really good to hear some of the comments that they've had on how they operate things that I'm actually seeing go the other way where national operators are saying, yeah, maybe we should do it that way. So I thought that was pretty cool. No, I completely agree. I love that you I love that you brought that up because I I hadn't thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Uh Cole obviously, but cuz otherwise one that interaction even in the larger ones there's so many people you typically don't get to have it and that with that interaction you get that trade of feedback and information and that is where we need it obviously because it isn't just all about the panels because the panels and the the round tables all of that are filled with so much great information but a lot of the the incredible conversations at the the in between at lunch at the mixer in those types of situation the conversation that you have you you do get the sharing of the ideas and how you run business and it is it's so rich and full of a lot that you otherwise wouldn't get to and so i'm really glad that you brought that up i love that yeah yeah and one other thing that happened this year that hasn't happened previously that I was pretty excited about was that we actually had and not anybody really heard about it because it was something that I kind of kept you know small on purpose. We had the first ever shop talk executive summit that actually happened the day after and this kind of came from a conversation I had with that I've had with several operators but one came to me in October that's you know they're not even a, a top 25 operator, but they came to me and said, you know, Wes, there are a lot of things that when we go to these conferences, we'd really like to talk about, but because of the distractions that happen, mainly with a lot of folks just trying to show off their company, uh, you know, being on the vendor side or, you know, being an operator who's trying to pick up new business, some of the real problems that we're facing, we don't really get to, to talk about. And that conversation further developed into, okay, well, let's, let's do something. Let's, you know, let's survey folks, see what they would want to talk about. And, you know, let's, let's don't do this as a separate conference because, who wants to get in the car, get in a plane and travel again for another conference. Let's, you know, let's put it on the back end of, of LeaseCon and, you know, invite some of the executives that are going to be attending. And for all of those that took part of that survey, thank you so much for, for doing that. A lot of those folks couldn't make it, but they gave me some really good 
the insight and, you know, questions beyond, you know, kind of the topical stuff that I'm thinking about, you know, when we're talking about being able to implement AI and what's happening from a staffing standpoint. It was great getting, getting that feedback from them. And so we did that on, on Wednesday and had a fantastic group that was there. Hopefully we can continue doing that year after year. I could see that really being beneficial for everybody that attends that. But yeah, that was, that was new. That was a, a, an extra undertaking we had for, for this event, but it went really well. Love that so much. So sad I didn't get to go. So sad. (laughs) Go ahead. You're mad that I didn't invite you. (laughs) Didn't even get an invite. I I didn't send an invite because I knew you were busy and that's really all there was to it. I was really... I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I I did have this fantastic panel that happened right after lunch on on that Tuesday on centralization. And this was, I did one last year that was kind of on centralization, but it was more so from a standpoint of, uh, of turn this year, it was kind of more all encompassing. Because when I stepped away from that one last year that we did on on centralizing turn, it became really clear that there was a lot of things that were happening on the leasing side. And so we ended up doing a, a webinar from that standpoint. That was a fantastic webinar. It was actually part of Shop Talk in that series. I think it was back in January. So if anybody wants to go back and and uh, look that up. But we... Um, when I was working with Rich and the guys at Interface to kind of determine what we were going to talk about with this panel, there were so many things to cover. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to fit this into, you know, 40 or 50 minutes, especially with the panel that we had, because these were all folks who have been, you know, working within centralization for even a couple of them, even before COVID. COVID seems to be the the one thing that has obviously turned everybody on to centralization. Greta, I'm sure you'll remember my trip to um, to the UK to interview some operators that were um, they were operating there. That I had a client who was looking to expand some of their services into the US, and so they wanted me to go there and kind of get an understanding of how things operated and specifically in the UK, but all throughout Europe and everybody was doing centralized services. Obviously they didn't have AI bots and things that they were deploying. This was very old school centralization, but they did a damn good job of it. And it was really impacting the bottom line in a positive way. And I came back from that in fall of 2018 saying, Guys, we got to do this. We got to do this. And if you've been a long-time listener of the <laughs> of the podcast, you you know about those episodes. But everybody just kind of looked at me like, no, this will never happen in the US. Our students are too high touch. We're not going to be able to, you know, do the self-guided tours and a lot of those things. But obviously, COVID changed a lot of that. And everybody's really focused on it now because we all learned that, yeah, it does actually save to the to the bottom line, both for the properties as well as for the management company. So we wanted to to do that because it's a it's a huge topic right now, not just because of centralization, but also because of the technology that that comes behind it. So had a fantastic panel that you know has really been knee deep into it. 
and have you know, been evaluating all the tech stack that's out there to evaluate. And so I think I think everybody got a lot of good information. And I think everybody that's listening to the podcast today will take a lot away from it as well. I completely agree. I think that the panel that you had was genuinely amazing. I was sitting in the room for it and it's, I loved, loved, loved everyone that was, that was a part of it. I think that everyone had individually great things to offer. And I do want to say one of the things that, (laughs) that might, there might be some listeners who may not know exactly, they keep hearing the word centralization. So just for those people who don't know, just in case you are one of those people, you've been sitting here and you keep hearing centralization, just in case, just in case. (laughs) When you hear centralization over and over again, in case you're getting into this and you're like, I'll figure it out once I start listening to it, don't, I've got you. Okay. Centralization, when you hear that term, basically what it means, and JT actually mentions this in the panel where everyone has a different definition of what centralization means and why Wes mentioned it with a lot of scattered site portfolios, why they typically they've been doing it the entire time. It means that you're taking different tasks from the properties themselves and you're bringing them to the main corporate office so that the property teams don't have to handle them themselves. And one of the items as an example that was being done at a lot, some companies prior to even COVID, and I was thinking about this while you were speaking, is that check collections where they would be sent to a lockbox as opposed to on site. There were a lot of companies, you know, one of the companies that I worked for, we were looking into doing this just so that they didn't have to do check collections and check scannings on site anymore. And so was this going to be easier on our assistant managers on site if they didn't have to worry about that anymore for us to collect them at our main office, if that was easier. So that's a part of centralization. And then obviously, as we move forward, and as you're talking about it, the tech stack, and as you'll hear from our incredible group of panelists as they go into it, that now there's a whole huge world of what that can also include. That means leasing and phone call answering and a lot of different services that can now be handled because technology is advanced so much further that again, takes a lot of the tasks off of the onsite team members, whereas hopefully they can focus on other things, mainly resident services and resident care. So specifically, so that they can do that so exceptionally well. So just in case that was something that you were wondering, hopefully that helps. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for doing that because I, I think, you know, a lot of times we do start using these terms and just throw them out willy-nilly <laughs> and <laughs> not realize that, you know, some people may not have any idea what we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, you know, when we talk about centralization and, you know, 2024 and you know, what that looks like specifically in student housing with the national operators. It is a huge shift in the way that we've been operating in the past because we've been very dependent on some of the site teams doing not just the leasing and the blocking and tackling, but also a lot of the other especially administrative. Yeah, that's what uh, I was thinking was administrative tasks. Yeah, a lot of the administrative stuff that, I mean, cause I remember running checks payables on site, right? Yeah, I know. Hardly anybody I, does that anymore. I know. 
it's um and you know and a lot of times it's not even done it's not even done at a corporate office anymore it's you know it's being outsourced that's really more of what we're talking about is utilizing a lot of the new technology yes a lot of stuff with artificial intelligence and and you know chat gpt functionality that um can just make things a lot easier especially on the collection side that's been I would say certainly within the past 18 months has probably been one thing that's probably made the biggest headway or or waves, whatever you want to call it, because that technology has just gotten so good at it. It can do things when we're all sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) And, And quite honestly, who really wants to deal with collection calls? Nobody. Even those that I know that really do love it, they really don't want to make the phone calls. So yeah, so I, let's go ahead and get into into this. I do want to say, so this recording was provided by the folks at Interface. They recorded all of the sessions. If you weren't able to make it to to least Contern Con, or maybe you didn't even know anything about it, I would strongly, strongly suggest that you reach out to, and we'll put all the information in the show notes, but reach out to Kelly at uh, and I will put her email in the show notes. Reach out to to Kelly at Interface, and I'm not sure what the pricing is. You can go with her on the pricing. I know it's different based on if you want to buy it for your company or and how large your company is. But anyway, we'll put that info in there. I think it's a fantastic group of panels that, yeah, I know certainly if I was in an operations role again <laughs> and wanted to make sure that everybody's kind of staying up to date with what's happening with both leasing topics as well as return topics. This is kind of a perfect kind of continuing education type of thing that you can provide to your staff, be it at the property level or across your entire company. So I did want to certainly mention that. So anything else you want them to focus on before we start, before we hit play on this, uh, on this recording? No, I think that's everything. All right. All right. Here's our panel on centralized services from LeaseCon TurnCon. Our um, panel this afternoon is on centralization, which has been a very hot buzzword for the past couple of years now, mainly coming out of COVID. I think we were all forced into figuring out something with centralization, mainly from a leasing standpoint. And it's kind of strange, back in 2018, I had a client that sent me to the UK to um, meet with some operators. There were some things that that client was wanting to bring to the US and was really trying to figure out if it was gonna work with the student profile that we have here. And I came away from that really kind of in awe at how centralized the operators were in Europe and how that was having a major impact on the bottom line. And came back telling everybody, hey, we've got to do centralized services. We've got to do centralized services. And they looked at me, uh, a lot of the, you know, uh, your CEOs and, and COOs, looked at me and said, Wes, this is never going to work because U.S. students need the red carpet rolled out. They've got to have that human touch. And um, 
literally you know a year later we're in the middle of a pandemic and everybody figures out that honestly that's not that important so, um, so a lot of operators have put a lot of money into it over the past couple of years and are really coming out with some uh, some unique things that I think is going to drive this industry and we've got several of them on the panel this afternoon and I'll let them introduce themselves and their company and a little bit about what they do from a centralization standpoint. Sounds good. We'll start with you. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Phil Ginsberg. I'm the Director of Centralized Sales and Leasing over at the Cardinal Group. I've been there for about a year. We've been able to, to see some pretty good success with some tech innovations through some tech stacks that we're working with uh, that Peter alluded to earlier and, and we're going to cover a little bit later. Awesome. Uh, well, I'm Kendra. I um, hope you guys stay awake uh, right after that, that lunch and don't go into a food coma. But uh, my name is Kendra. I am Director of Sales with the Scion Group. I've spent almost 12 years in the student housing industry and 11 of them with Scion. And just a little bit kind of about our centralization. We do uh, centralized leasing, I think is the most prominent. Um, we do kind of dabble with our uh, turn management it is also kind of centralized and we do some collections centralized as well, but mostly um, centralized leasing. Joel Robot, Granite, uh, Granite Management. Uh, some of you might know us as the banana people. If you know, you know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I've been, I'm COO of Granite. I've been with the company for 10 years, spent 12 years in student housing. So we're a little bit different. We kind of centralize in two tiers. We have local offices within what we call a saturated market where, where we're managing on average probably 70 properties. Our top three markets would be Purdue University, Indiana University, and Virginia Tech. And so we have a central office where we do all of our leasing operations and maintenance and a little bit of marketing out of those offices. Uh, leasing would be primarily sales-based, the sales-based kind of stuff. And then on our second tier of centralization, the more of like lead management, paperwork, back-end admin, and also accounting are managed in at a corporate office, uh, which is located in West Lafayette, Indiana. And so that's kind of how we separate and work those uh, centralization efforts. Uh, my name is Jerry Wojenski. I'm the CEO of Varsity Campus based here in Charlotte. So welcome to the Queen City. I hope you enjoy yourselves this week and uh, you know, take the time to explore the city a little bit. Uh, but we operate about 17 properties and about 14 markets uh, across the US, primarily from New York all the way down Louisiana. And we have a couple products. We started off with centralized leasing, which has now covered about 80% of our portfolio, and centralized financial services, which basically does rent collections and AP invoice work. And then we do have a third branch called centralized IT solutions, which is kind of a newer concept, kind of kicking off the ground. So we're really kind of buying into the centralized services platforms, and I think that's part of the future in the industry. Uh, my name is JT Bailey. I'm VP and General Manager over Student Housing for RealPage. I'm the, the one vendor on the stage. Uh, so uh, at RealPage, we offer, you know, we're a technology solutions provider in the space. We offer full stack management platforms to run your entire, you know, property management company, but we also offer individual products that serve specialized needs and integrate with uh, all the systems out there, Knock being our CRM we purchased uh, two years ago. And that's where a lot of our centralization efforts are going is kind of through that deployment of Knock, whether it's within our own ecosystem or integrating with Entrada or you know, any of the other ones out there. Well, great. So guys, I, I want to first kind of ask, ask you guys about your, your journey into centralization. And Kendra, I want to start with you because you know I mentioned earlier, COVID is what really kind of forced all of us into it. But Scion was getting started with this prior to the pandemic. So 
tell us a little bit about what that journey was like getting to the point of you know figuring out what the tech stack was going to be just kind of walk us through that and then we'll talk to the rest about their journey yeah, absolutely. So we kind of dabbled in centralization for uh, a couple of years. Um, I feel like if I say summer leasing in this room, a lot of people will understand what I mean. Um, but it kind of started from um, you know our, our summer leasing and kind of trying to get to the finish line and. So what we kind of started doing every summer, we'd have a team of people that had finished leasing up their properties, kind of had essentially free resources out there that could be reapplied somewhere else. So we brought a team, um, first it started with like four people and then we bridged out a little bit more and I think uh, eventually it was kind of rotating teams of 20 people. Flew to Chicago, we sat in a room and like that's where the magic happened. We pretty much everyone had a phone at their table and their laptop and we sat in groups, we made a bunch of competitions and we just worked on those properties that were doing summer leasing. The hardest ones in the most saturated markets with you know concessions that were being thrown out, thousands of dollars of gift cards. And so that's kind of where it started was this dedicated effort to making things happen. And what we realized kind of through the process is the dedication and the lack of distractions from um, you know residents coming in, asking us questions, uh, needing to put in a work order. Those are all extremely important things to the resident, but um, they are distractions for the on-site team and so um, it, it was the solve for focus uh, is essentially where it all started so as Wes mentioned prior to the pandemic we had geared up to make this what we were calling sprints a full-time thing and so we did take some of our team members from on-site um, and since then have evolved by bringing in all sorts of different backgrounds into our centralized team which are all now in Chicago where um, you know sit on the floor together uh, go through the weeds together um, and it's really allowed us to kind of flex our resources at any given time and continue that that solve for focus which allows our on-site teams to really dedicate the resident experience you know they might know us from the lease leasing signing process but then you know we introduce them over to the site team where the rest of their journey with us happens and we you know check in around renewal time and, and keep those connections going but um, yeah that's kind of how we got started so Scion is all, you guys do no third-party management. For the three other operators up here, there's a lot of third-party management. So I'm a little interested, along with that journey, kind of what's been the response from, from those third-party clients. Jerry, you'll start with you. Sure. You know, initially, our third-party clients didn't really understand the concept. It was very confusing to them because it is a novel approach. And like you said, overseas, it might be less novel than it is here, but they're so used to the way things have always been done. And when you introduce and disrupt the process and try to explain to them, it's a very uncomfortable thing for them to break away from that mold. And the way we kind of proposed the concept was, look, we have a SEAL team that are experts in their specific fields of either leasing or rent collections, and they can provide consistent service, better results, and for less money. Because again, we can now look at our, you know, several of your, your properties in your portfolio and work on all, all the properties at the same time with fewer resources because it's centralized. And as a result, you can reduce your payroll. And I think with some groups um, on the panel, you know, we were targeting maybe, you know, not backfilling ACM roles or, or whatnot to kind of offset the cost. So it's a win-win. You get better service and better results and you save on your payroll costs through centralized services. So at first there was a lot of resistance and few adoption. However, as certain properties might have been in tougher markets struggling, 
they said, you know what, we want to hire on your service and see what happens. So within the first 30 days, they were so impressed that they hired us across our entire portfolio. And right now, like I said, about 80% of all of our properties in our portfolio are under at least one of our centralized platforms. And the success and results speak for themselves. Uh, so most of our clients have actually never known anything <laughs> other than centralized, uh, because usually when we take on a property owner client, and this goes for our scat, even when we're taking on a purpose-built property within a market that we already operate, there we're still doing all the leasing operations and maintenance out of that centralized office. And so one thing about our particular model of management is that we don't load payroll or overhead onto the property. So we charge maybe a marginally higher property management fee, gotcha. but that works better for the property owner, we feel like, because then we basically eat what we kill. And there is no, uh, there's much less risk and exposure uh, on the property owner if we don't perform. And so uh, I guess our clients really haven't ever been given a choice. It's like, hey, this is our model. You know, we, we staff this one centralized office and we'll service your property from that office. And this is where we're going to funnel everything through. We've never lost a client because of it, I guess. So uh, it's, it's worked out really well for us. So you guys kind of, you know, you've got the scattered site type of template that I know it's West Lafayette and Bloomington mm -hmm. and Blacksburg. And then you've got a portfolio of purpose-built student housing. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those are in tier two, tier three markets. How much difference is there in centralized services between those two types of portfolios? Yeah, so not a whole lot. I mean, the one difference would be obviously if we have a if we have a purpose built that's it's by itself in a market. Obviously, that property has its own staff. We're still granted is still bearing the overhead, but we are that person almost functions as our front facing employee. They will obviously do some sort of leasing. They will do some sort of like first tier operations. They usually don't do maintenance, but then we are usually dispatching from a closer centralized location, either people to go visit that property for like larger operations projects for maintenance. And we're doing a lot of the leasing on the back end, again, back at like our admin. Really the person that's there in that building is meant to be a face to the property, get the lease out to them, and then we take everything over from, uh, everything over from there on the corporate side on the back end. Yeah, Phil? Yeah, Cardinal, we've taken a little bit of a, you know, to go back to Peter's talk earlier, a unique approach to kind of the way that we're doing it. Um, so previously I was at Scion as well in their centralized environment, and I'll tell you, I miss, you know, being an owner operator and being able to just make your decisions at your leisure. Having clients does make it a little bit of a challenge. So for us, what we've done is we've kind of segmented out our centralized roles. So we've got our centralized leasing, we've got resident services, we've got our centralized collections, uh, and in the future we'll have um, some uh, centralized maintenance efforts as well. And so for us, this allows what we've you know come to recognize as not a one you know one size fits all when it comes to centralized leasing or centralization in general. So, allowing our clients to kind of pick and choose from a suite of services has been super beneficial for us because a client may start off with one service offering for leasing and lead management and recognize that we've given them so much time back that the team is now bogged down on collections. So we can you know whether it be introducing an AI tool or you know a specific centralized vertical position to be able to support that client better. It really gives us that flexibility to manage as best as possible for the individual. You know, with some of our implementations as well, we've been able to see, as we were talking about with management fees earlier, some increases in what we're able to net on our collections just through that simple implementation of bringing that AI tool and allowing a client to choose just to have that offering rather than to feel like they 
they have to sign up for a full suite of services. Uh, that malleability is really something that has been you know, super beneficial for us. How have the clients responded to it? Is everybody jumping on board? Or? Um, it's, it's a mix. You know, <clears throat> you have some that are, they roll out, you know, we've, we've been working with HSRE and we've got you know, another six that are deploying next Tuesday, um, okay. just as a result of us centralizing one or two of them from the beginning. So a lot of them are seeing, you know, as we mentioned earlier on the payroll side and, and being a little bit more ROI positive, some of these clients are, are seeing fantastic say, you know, yeah. savings as not backfilling an ACM, right? Because mm -hmm. we're recognizing that that work can be done at a much better pace, much more efficiently uh, and a lot quicker. Um, more cost effective as well. Yeah. So depends on the client. You know, I think everybody who works with clients, you've got one or two, you know, yeah. make your job interesting. But for us, it's it's been pretty good across the board. Now, you introduced another uh, buzzword, which is AI. And we had a lot of discussion about this on our prelim call, but I know both Cardinal and Scion are deploying AI. Are you guys deploying anything? in regards to AI right now? With you pretty much have to for centralized services. Like in order to scale it and, and make it efficient on, on a cost savings basis, you have to kind of control your payroll costs, right? Um, so it's great to have experts in the field that are behind the scenes, but they need to be supported on you know, some, some of the redundant tasks, some of it tasks that be can, can be handled by AI. So we definitely integrate software and AI into the platform that's part of the success strategy. And I think that was the challenge at first is how do we incorporate this? How do we use these technologies? And it took a few months for us to kind of figure out and streamline, but I think our directors of the departments uh, for centralized financial services and leasing and IT did a really good job utilizing AI to basically supplement their teams. Yeah, okay. So uh, for the audience, just a quick show of hands, how many of your companies have deployed centralized services, either just leasing or collections? Anybody? <clears throat> okay. My next question, JT, I want to go to you because you know, I think there's obviously everybody didn't raise their hand. And so one thing I want to make sure with this panel is that we kind of provide some lessons learned. You're talking to folks every week um, about you know, deploying these solutions. So kind of wonder from your standpoint, you know, what are, what's some advice that you would give to folks? And then from the rest of the panel, um, really like to get into some of those lessons learned the hard way. So. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you've called it a buzzword a couple times. I think it's a great kind of label to put on the word centralization. You know, like a lot of things in student housing, if you line up, four operators and say define centralization or how are you doing centralization, you're going to get four different answers. And that's because centralization, it's, it's not a product. It's not, a, it's not a, just a thing you do, right? Centralization is a suite of tools and procedures and strategies to achieve a goal of some kind. And so what I like to tell people is before you dive into the idea of centralization, Identify the problems you're looking to solve. Identify the outcome you're looking for. Is this something to reduce payroll? Is this something to be able to utilize underused you know, employees at successful properties to either cover for groups that have a higher workload or are having turnover problems? Is this a service you're looking to offer as a third-party operator that can be a potential you know, additional revenue center at a, at a different you know, service level? Are you a scattered site? There's so many different ways and so many, so many different ways you can utilize you know, the, the concept of centralization to solve your problems. And so one of the things I like to recommend to people is don't just go into a 
conversation with you know a vendor and say I want centralization because what that what their answer may be might not be the answer to your specific question to your specific problem identify the solutions and outcomes you're looking for identify the identify the problems you want to solve so that you can then go and have a good conversation with all the different vendors in the space and make sure that as you're putting that together because with that you know as I mentioned earlier there's a suite of tools there there probably won't be one vendor that meets your centralization needs it's going to be you know an AI company and a CRM or your PMS stack with you know some additional add-ons or whatever else so if you truly understand what your what your outcome you're striving for what problem you're looking to solve you set yourself up to have a lot better more educated conversation and at the end of the day you'll be spending your dollars on something that's actually going to provide the value you're looking for as opposed to just kind of going the route of technology for the sake of technology because everybody else is doing it. All right, lessons learned. I'll start. Uh, I would say don't be afraid to try new tools, right? You're not going to learn or figure out what tool is best for you and your, your company or for that specific operator, as you know, JT was mentioning. Like it's, it's not all the same. So don't be afraid to try new things. You know, at Cardinal, we tried a voice AI that you know, wasn't what we were looking for in the beginning. It was a big lesson learned for us as we put a little, you know, few eggs in that basket. And then my main thing is just never forget that you cannot build the second story of your house if your foundation is not done. So it is much better to take an extra couple months and build out your foundation to be rock solid before trying to progress forward into something because you can't go back and if you try to go back and make those changes you may be able to but it might be a lot more costly and and you know time consuming than you may have anticipated in the beginning and the last thing I'll leave out with is be proactive not reactive because in this industry the more reactive we are the quicker we have to you know chime in and and try to solve something but the more proactive we can be with the way that we're rolling things out with the tools that we're testing and the teams that we're working with I think ultimately the better results you're going to see. One of the biggest things I think that we we learned is that it's okay to pivot a little bit. And you know, I mentioned that we kind of dabbled in centralized for a while, and it gave us a good understanding of kind of what we wanted that foundation really to look like. Um, and based off that, you know, we extrapolated it to you know a size 55 person team. And what we realized is six people structure isn't always the same as a 55 person structure. You can't have, you know, 50 people in the same role and, um, you know, no growth patterns, things like that. So it looks a little bit different than it did on day one. And every year we kind of have a reflection period and, and make adjustments. Um, you know, markets change drastically. You might have had to put more resources in a specific area that is no longer a problem now or vice versa. And so it's okay if it's not the same exact thing you thought it was going to be on day one. And JT said it perfectly, like it's not a one size fits all. We'll all tell you a different way to do centralized sales or um, any centralized services. And you really have to look at, you know, kind of the needs of your properties and, and make decisions based off of that. So I think one of the things that we've learned about centralization is that it actually frees up your people to do what they're really good at. So like from a leasing perspective, we've got salespeople, leasing people that are really good at like making the sale, closing the deal, and they're terrible at paperwork. So it's like taking that off no, of their plate. Agent. <laughs> what? So taking that off of their plate, you know, allowing somebody who's more administrative to do that for them so they can be freed up. And Kendra mentioned it earlier, it's like when you're on site, you know, for us, for if, if you're in your central office, you still get the customer support questions. You get people calling in, walking in. They want to ask you all sorts of things that really don't have anything to do with our leasing folks, but they're kind of like the front-facing folks, and so they get those questions. But having those uh, having those support systems set up on the back end, so it's like 
like, and it goes across all, all of our departments, but leasing is the easiest one to see, just to free those people up, just do what they're good at. Go out there and get people on tours and get them to sign leases, and then everything else we can take care of on the back end, and it allows them to not get bogged down from doing what they've been primarily hired to do by having to cover all of these other things. I think for us, there was two important lessons that came about that we did not expect. And again, centralization has been a process, it's been a learning process for all of us as we go through. We were so focused on how are we gonna structure this and who are we gonna choose to be part of our team um, that we kind of forgot about the site level and the challenges about integrating the two that might come up. Uh, the first thing that came up with centralized leasing, for example, is we have a, like I said, a SEAL team of you know, great closers that are there calling, following up the leads, and getting leases signed. However, they still need the leads to come in. And those leads are usually coming in from the site level or through our, our digital advertising. So if you have a property that's not bringing in new leads or new prospects or guest cards into your system, well then the centralized leasing team really can't do their job and their function. It's a two-step process, is you bring in the lead and then they close that. Um, so we realized that you know, we have to fuel centralized leasing by making sure that the site team plus our digital presence is bringing in more and more prospects, even in difficult markets where you know, there, not, there might not be a large market to pull from. So that was the first issue we came across. The second issue came a little bit later, surprisingly, and that was <coughs> the site teams. Um, we didn't realize that when we implement centralized leasing, um, our site teams, how do I put this the best way? I got um, a feeling it has to do with the money that comes in there. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> essentially they go, well, what about our commissions or bonuses or whatnot? <laughs> you know, and also it, a little bit of a, more on the ego side, are we doing a bad job? Feelings were hurt sometimes. You're taking away a process from us. You're sometimes trying to reduce our site team. And no one, if you're a general manager at a property, you always hate to hear that you're reducing the size of their team. Because they, if you ask a general manager how many team members you need, you know, there is no number. They'll take as much help as they want and can get. So that was, you know, introducing centralized leasing was difficult because there were some hurt feelings. Um, and you had to explain to them saying that this is a support team to help you out. And in the long term, the two, uh, the site team and centralized team working together are gonna produce a better outcome, better results, and hopefully gives you your summer back so you're not leasing up last minute you know, into August. So we had to figure out how to handle the bonus structure program. So instead of maybe on leasing, since one of our issues was we need the site team to start farming leads for us, we turn it into more of a marketing you know, lead production bonus instead. We had to work around these like issues, but I, I, we completely forgot, and this was on us, that the site team can't be forgotten. The site team is still vital, it's still important. You know, these are support structures, but we do need someone on site providing that human touch with residents. And you have to make sure that you create an integrated structure where they don't feel abandoned or, and that they feel important and, and supported. And then also that there's a good communication structure between the centralized teams and the site teams as well. So that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to get into next, which is really kind of the nitty gritty. What does the structure look like, especially on centralized leasing? You know, Kendra, you mentioned having a, you know, a physical call center in, in Chicago. And 
I know Cardinals got everybody spread out all over the place. Mm -hmm. Let's just dig into that. What what does that structure look like? What does the training process look like? Because you've got folks that are probably great at selling, and you know both of, both of your companies do great websites. I'm sure a lot of folks that are trained really well in selling can look at the website and sell it to somebody over the phone. But you know, do you guys send them out to the properties to you know kind of understand the market a little bit better? I just want to dig into that. Like you mentioned, we have a team in Chicago that all sits together and works together collaboratively. And you know, I mentioned it earlier. We kind of started out with everybody in the same position and you know applied them equally but you have you know people with different backgrounds people that have different strengths um, you got people that are looking for career growth and things like that and so we've you know developed a couple different roles within the team um, based off you know those those criteria and then for the training standpoint, um, a lot of our teams, you know, did originally come from on-site, and so that, that's kind of like a lesson learned along the way too. Is is hiring the person for this role? You may have someone really strong that is from Starkville, Mississippi, and Chicago is not their vibe. Um, and so, you know, you might have some really good student housing background, but trying to move someone to Chicago isn't always, you know, what they're looking for. And so we got into this. All right. Well, if they're not coming from student housing, how do we train, and how do we get people to understand? And this whole experience that you know some of these other team members may have lived on site when they worked in, in um, you know on a property and they have that experience and knowledge and so from you know a lot of lessons learned in the in the training aspect we were able to devise a an onboarding that's um, pretty extensive and then uh, the goal is to get a few people out um, every year to their markets or if there's a market where you know you just have to go see it to understand it we do still selectively travel but it's certainly like that's like the one time of the year that so i'm interested in which markets would, would that be the case um for? oh man let's see i think most places uh that we sent people out to this year <coughs> tuscaloosa i think is a good one um that we've sent people to we have a lot of markets of scale which is helpful um because we do try to group you know the properties together as much as possible for for each of the team members so really markets of scale where you can take one trip and go see yeah. <laughs> many many sites or your driving distance to you know the next market over but yeah that I think that's huge for not only the training aspect of understanding the market but that face-to-face -face time with the site teams is huge like every team member that we've been able to send out that has built that relationship and connection with their site team they come back working together so much more you have an appreciation when you go on site if you didn't come from on site of what happens on a day-to-day -day basis when Amazon rolls up and you know everybody's eyes glaze over because they see a million packages that you know need to be uh, logged it things like that that you just don't get from from being um, you know totally remote so yeah I, th I think that's that's really how we're structured we, we dabble around and, and play with kind of the ratio of properties to people because uh, like I'm, not all properties are the same not all markets are the same and so that bandwidth fluctuates and I think that's one of the things benefits of owner operators we can that's we a really good point because very quickly <laughs> yeah because you know we've all talked about how how the velocity has been especially power five tier one schools are you finding yourself shifting everybody onto those properties at the beginning of the season and and then over to the to the tier two tier three yeah absolutely and and we kind of look at the the season as a whole for a property and understand okay well this one's going to be really hot and need a lot of attention in January where this one it's October and then let's also you know throw a 
you know, a May leaser out there. And so that way you can kind of flex your, your bandwidth throughout the year. And it's not like, oh my gosh, I've got three properties that need to lease up in October, or, you know, I'm going to be in a really bad position. And so uh, we are strategic about that as well and understanding, okay, what is, how do we make this, you know, a 365 day year job versus, all right, let me lease my property up in October and then kick back and relax <laughs> for a year. It doesn't work like that. Um, so yeah, definitely play around a, a lot with the property assignments. And like I said, it, we do have uh, a lot more flexibility in that um, being that we could shift five people to one property if we really wanted. Yeah. So Phil, I'm, I'm old school and I can, the call center resonates with me, right? Mm -hmm. You've got folks at their home, at coffee shops. Oh yeah. How, how does that work? Uh, honestly, it's fantastic. I think kind of going back to some, some of the comments that were made earlier, like hiring is such a crucial process and trust, right? Um, I, for those of you that were in here listening to Peter speak, like we're very fortunate that we have kind of Peter leading that culture mindset. So I give my team complete autonomy and complete trust. I know that the work is being done from, I'm in Eastern time, so from 8 p.m. or 8 a.m., excuse me, 9 a.m. until 8 p.m. because I have people on the West Coast and in every time zone in between. So a little bit different, right? We're not an owner operator, so we don't get the luxury of being able to just throw additional support where needed, but we don't do dedicated specialists. So we've got eight specialists working across 31 different sites and they're all available at any time. Kind of going back to the tech stack, they're operating out of a custom built contact center from Rent Dynamics, which streamlines all information currently, you know, they're previously bought by, or recently bought, excuse me, by Entrada. So all of that Entrada community information that a remote sales team member may need, or, you know, a sales team member who might be in Chicago where they have the ability to turn around and ask a teammate, we don't have that luxury, but we have all of that information and kind of using technology and AI to support that team as best as possible. With them being remote, I'm a social person, it's tough, right? I sit at my house by myself all day, um, which can be difficult. So we do, we have a 30 minute standing call every day uh, around lunchtime. We hop on, we just chat, we get you know caught up, we talk about big um, uh, company updates, anything that's going on with them. We try to travel, not necessarily to the sites, but as a group, uh, whether it be for leadership or to get the entirety of the team together. Those eight are just on my sales team. There's another 14 on our operations team. So okay. our entire centralized model covers 30 people if you count our directors and gotcha. you know Jacob as well. So so our operating model is a little bit different, right, than an owner operator because we don't have the luxury of having that centralized environment or being able to make those decisions on the fly. But having that remote team being completely empowered and, and knowing that they're doing the best work possible because they're so bought into the process yeah. uh, has been huge for us. They're the first sales specialist at Cardinal, soon to be, you know, our first sales manager, soon to be the first of the next, you know, offering that CX3 has to offer. So putting them in that mindset, like we were talking about earlier on, on the hiring side, it's just empowering your people to be a person and to make their decisions and to know that they can get the work done and that they feel comfortable and safe reaching out and asking for help. I think so often our team members or some of ourselves even don't want to reach out to our supervisor or a friend or a coworker to ask that question because yeah. we want to feel self-sufficient. We want to feel, you know, as Peter was saying earlier, like your champion, like being in a champion's pose. You want to feel like you're winning that task, not that you had to succumb to maybe that failure and, and reach back out. So we try to create that psychological safety so that the team always knows, regardless of what it is, if it's five minutes they need to talk to us or if it's 20 minute vent session about a, a site or you know how the on-site team is is feeling with us taking over is a, a big challenge for us as well so just empowering them to make those decisions regardless of where they're at in the country has been how we've been able to at least do it so i'm a big checklist guy as well so is you know do you give a cx3 
uh, associate, you know, a checklist that they've got to go through every day of, hey, put the dog up, put the, <laughs> or is it just? No, we, we actually kind of lean into that. Um, you know, we think, and it's me specifically, and I know Peter will agree at Cardinal, like, you're a person first and you're a team member second. And I think that's where they recognize that they're at home. And yeah, they're at home. And if they need to still take a phone call while they're, you know, taking a quick second to flip the laundry, amazing. More power to them to be yeah. able to live their life and not feel like they're tied to maybe their job. It's another reason I have to work in the office because I don't want to do the laundry. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'm going to start going to an office, man. I'll avoid it all. <laughs> so, Jerry, I know, I think Kenneth Fox is somewhere here in the in the audience. I know he leads everything up for you guys on, you know, kind of that call center. A little bit about that structure because you guys are a little bit more nimble than some of these bigger companies are. So, yeah. So, I mean, for us, we kind of do, uh, I mean, actually, they kind of create the structure themselves, but they realized qu quickly that jumping from property to property was not the most efficient way uh, when you're taking sales calls, especially when you start doing property merge, and next thing you know, you're selling beachfront property in Arizona. So <laughs> when I was actually talking and prepping for this like panel session, I asked Ashley, she's on our team, you know, um, what are some of the things that you've learned in your role as, you know, being the person who's calling and closing these deals? And she was saying that, you know, you really have to block out time and just focus on one property at a time um, before you move on to the next one. You just can't be jumping around leads back and forth. Um, so that that's efficient. And then as well, when you're focusing on one property, you might have, for example, an immediate move in and you have to communicate to the site level right away to make sure that that room and that unit is gonna be ready for that resident. Otherwise, you just close the lease and the site level is not prepared and they have someone showing up with bags in a couple hours. So they definitely have a specific set of properties assigned to them, but they work on those properties in blocks of time. Joel, do you have anything to, to ask? I know I kind of got on that a little bit earlier between yeah. the two different portfolios. <laughs> One aspect of the leasing process that we're actually have just recently changed, uh, even from a, a different standpoint than what we've normally done is, and I guess it, it seems obvious and I don't know why we didn't do it earlier, but part of our one branch of our customer of our customer support team that normally handles like you know phone calls for you know billing questions or account questions or or different leasing questions is they're actually helping us with lead management in that you know a lot of times students and even working folks for our multifamily properties you know they're doing things obviously between 8 and 5 every day and so we get a considerable amount of leads that will come in we use appfolio but through our appfolio lead management system that typically are going to sit there and probably not get responded to until the next day well especially in our student markets that are really high demand it's like we don't really want those things sitting there right. so actually a branch of our customer support team works from 5 p.m. until about 11 p.m. on the weekdays to try to at least engage with those leads that might be coming in, get them to a point where they can answer their questions and get prepped to, if they're ready to sign, uh, get them there. And then if there's any questions that our, our customer support team can't answer, then they can basically make a connection with one of our on-site staff folks that can pick it up first thing the next morning. That's been pretty big for us, especially in our markets where there's low, we're low on supply and high in demand. We think it's been, we've been really successful at capturing some of those leads that might have been lost otherwise. Yeah. So last question, and maybe we can get to some Q&A, um, but I think we've only got about five minutes. Um, ROI, which is the most important question in all of this. Mm -hmm. How long are you guys seeing, you know, between rolling all of this stuff out before it's actually making an impact on the property budget, yep. bringing in revenue for the management company? 
Yeah, for Cardinal, we started and kicked off all of our centralized efforts a little over a year ago. We were able to go revenue positive across all of our offerings in 11 months. That was just due to the fact and the way that we've structured our offerings. So we started on the operations side, which allowed us to charge a little bit more for the service offering, pair that with an AI tool that's now collecting more rent. Your management fees are going up every month. So that was a big lift for us right off the rip. And then integrating and implementing the sales efforts. We've been able to, you know, as we mentioned earlier, kind of not backfill some ACM positions that have netted clients some some great year-to-date savings that have all allowed us to streamline our efforts and go positive in 11 months. So, you know, for us, we, we kind of started off with the, the drug dealer approach, give them a taste and then jack up the prices um, because we know they're going to like the product. Um, and, they, and that's where it really kind of started is we're, we knew we were going to have a loss leader in, in the space. So we're going to present a product out there, let them test it out because it is new, it's novel. In the meantime, we're working at our kinks as we're launching this program. So, you know, for centralized financial services, I actually was just talking to our director, Josh, earlier, and he says we're actually really profitable and we've only kicked that out for the last six months so that was pretty quick centralized leasing we're looking at q1 of 2024 because that's when the price escalation hits um, in, in january and the sticker shock sets in but you know at that point in time you really you really can't undo it because you know it, it it's great and you know the results are there you know and you have a great team behind it i think the one thing that we are also realizing is there is alternatives aside from your base services. There is some ancillary services that we can provide, which right now the teams are doing for free and I'm pushing back and saying, don't. <laughs> so I think once you've proven that you're good and effective at what you do, you tend to have clients who then try to, try to say, well, can you also do this for me and to do that for me? So we're seeing like centralized uh, leasing, for example, is doing a lot of property reporting or crunching numbers for ownership groups that usually the site team would work on or the regional team would work on. And so we can do that, but that's going to have to be now an hourly fee going forward because that's above and beyond the core reason for that department and service. I want to make sure to open it up for any questions. Anyone? Ted? Has anyone outsourced overseas for some of the call center functionality? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. so the question for those in the back that Ted was asking is if anything's, if you guys are outsourcing anything yep. to other. So the way we do it is we've kind of built it internally. So we actually hire the people as contractors. We haven't hired an actual company or service to do it for us. We hire them as individual contractors for Grant exclusively, and then we do all of the training, uh, we do all of the overviews, uh, we do everything basically in-house, but hire them as contractors. We've had really great success with it so far. Go ahead. One of the things several of you have mentioned is uh, being able to replace or, or not have any more of the assistant community manager position. That's kind of the common conduit for becoming a community manager, the next person in line that they can train their replacement. Mm -hmm. How has your talent management changed with the elimination of that position to train the next crop of community managers? I'll say that it's not always the ACM role. Um, it could be we reduce the CA team just a bit. However, I think in our industry, we've all I've seen since COVID, labor markets are tight. The pool of available labor is not what it used to be. We have higher turnover in industry. There's more poaching going on. So this churn and disorder in staffing is kind of what really also propagated the need for centralized leasing aside from just the pandemic. And so we're seeing that 
you know, sometimes we can't backfill that ACM role because they're just, it's, it's difficult in a specific market. Uh, there's still opportunities for growth in our company and we still have training programs and fast track programs uh, where people can develop and maybe have to move to a different market. But, you know, overall, I think that we're not cutting that position completely company-wide. It's more for that market or that property, what's the best way to trim down the payroll, whether it be through the CAs or maybe it's an ACM position that's been sit up, sitting open for like six months in yep. Greensboro, North Carolina. So, yeah. And we don't backfill it and we just put centralized services to support the GM because that GM <clears throat> needs that support. You know? yeah. and it gives you the opportunity to be intentional about yeah. that as well. It gives you the ability to kind of take a step back and say, is that ACM role that so often acts as a bookkeeper or you know, in that financial side, is that truly the best place, the best route for someone to go through to become that, you know, take that next step, right? So it gives you the opportunity as a company to really look at what qualities do you want to instill in, in those management candidates? Do you want to put in a fast track program? Do you want to, instead of going from a AGM to a GM style role, maybe you're going from a GM at a small property that you would consider an easy property to have that be the first step. And then you're moving up kind of in that piece and part. And it also opens more opportunities, you know, on the on the corporate side or kind of where that centralized piece is structured that, you know, maybe that's a that's a new potential growth path for for somebody that your leasing manager, instead of jumping into an AG to a you know AGM ACM role, maybe they're gonna jump into a centralized sales role. And then, you know, like Phil is saying, then that person might be one of the first batches of the managers of those groups and the directors as they move up. So it gives you that chance to kind of really look at it and see what what process do you really want to flow those people through to get them into the right positions and to have some kind of intentional you know, planning and thought around it. The only other thing I would add to that as well, and for anybody that's sitting in this room, like they're talking about eliminating assistant manager positions. If you took a look at your hiring and how long your positions were open and how many candidates you get for that position versus what the average centralized position sees in terms of candidacy, uh, it would just blow your minds. I mean, we have roles that have sat open for six months that have seen 12 candidates. I had a role that I had open for a month and I saw 135 for a centralized role. So the numbers are kind of speaking to it. And I think when you look at that, you look at the quality of a candidate that's putting themselves in a, a candidate pool of taking on a centralized role for a large corporation. That candidate's probably a little bit more qualified than someone that thinks they can manage a 300 unit or 500 bed asset. Um, and then to the point about setting them up for success, maybe that's not how we should be setting up our CMs and setting them up to be most successful. You know, What does the most successful CM at your company look like and how did they achieve that? How would you then, teach that person to bring on or look for that kind of style in their next uh, next candidate. Well, my Apple Watch has told me it's time for me to stand. So um, <laughs> unless if anybody else has any questions, I think we'll, we'll move on. Panel, thank you so much. Again, a big thanks to to that panel. I thought they were outstanding. It was great having those operators kind of at all different levels of you know what's happening at their company, but also the size of the companies. I mean, had everybody from Scion to Cardinal to smaller companies like Varsity and and Granite, and then on top of that, being able to have JT there to kind of give that you know that tech perspective, and it, it was it worked out really well. I completely agree. It was a perfect, perfect mix for that panel. I genuinely loved it. Well, with that being said, 
we'll let everybody else go. But I do want to let you know of a couple of things that are coming up specifically on the, uh, the webinar side of things. We do have Shop Talk that's coming out. By the time this particular episode comes out, December Shop Talk will have been completed and it should be up on the website, which is shoptalk.com. Info Again, that's shoptalk.info. And when you go there, if you haven't registered to actually get our emails so that you can be updated when we, each time we schedule that monthly webinar, make sure that you go there and register to receive those. And then in January, our first one's going to be on the second Thursday. It looks like that is the 11th of January. So make sure you put that down on your calendars to join us for that. We've got some Got a great lineup of folks that we're talking to for that one. Greta, anything else? No, sir. Happy holidays, everyone. Well, fantastic. Uh, oh, one other thing on the webinars, I just about forgot. We will be announcing here in the next week or so one that we've got coming up on reputation management. So if that's something that you and your company are focused on looking at, you know, wanting to kind of find out what everybody else in the industry is doing to, to manage that process, make sure you check that out. It should be happening. Um, I believe it's going to be the last week of January, but we'll have info on our website at studenthousinginsight.com and just go to events and you'll see everything listed down at the bottom. Well, Greta, thanks so much. Good to hear your voice. Likewise. Very happy to be back as always. Well, fantastic. Happy holidays to everyone. And we will see you on the next episode. Bye.